What's going on, y'all? So uh, before we get into this one, I think there's maybe three things that I should let you know up front, uh, two of which are an explanation and the last of which uh, is a non-explanation. <laughs> so let's get into it. So the first thing is that at a certain point, you're going to hear us watching a TikTok. And this TikTok was made by today's guest, Sarah Al-Hassan, and it takes you through a very introductory background on why there's a war happening in the African country of Sudan and who it's affecting. And maybe you think it's a little silly that I said the African country of Sudan, um, but I think that actually relates to what a lot of Sarah's work does. So as I'll mention in the interview, Sarah has been posting constantly since this war broke out, and she's talking to two different audiences. The first is other Sudanese people, and I would say the second is people who probably couldn't even find Sudan on a map. Now, there's nothing wrong with being in either of those camps. If you're in the second, honestly, after you listen to the first part of this interview, you'll have enough information to follow along with the rest of it. Now, that brings me to the second thing I wanted to explain. You're not going to hear us drop a lot of names of politicians or figures or geopolitical buzzwords. You know, there are places that you can read about that if you want, and I'll put some of that info in the show notes. But we're talking about something different here. We're talking about what Sarah's been seeing as somebody who's trying to educate and let people know about what's going on. Which brings me to the third point, uh, which you're probably wondering about the title. And like I said, I'm not going to explain that, but I think that'll become more clear as we start to talk about what it takes to get people to pay attention. Maybe that's too much of a hint. Anyway, let's get into it. Yo, what up? Hi. How you doing? Hello. I'm good. How are you? I'm chilling. This is our first time speaking we've never spoken before we've spoken very very briefly uh just via messages but i wonder if you could introduce yourself well my username is bs on blast but my government name is sarah and i'm a sudanese american who has been covering the war uh for the last 256 days oh, over eight yeah. months now almost nine months yeah yeah w when did you decide that you're going to cover this. You, you use the word cover this, but you also don't refer to yourself as a journalist. I wonder if you could talk a little oh, bit no. about that. Yeah, you know, I find I find that really, really interesting, by the way. But can you talk about why you decided to do that? Um, well, to explain that, I'd have to go back a little bit. Uh, this is actually not the first uh, Sudanese event that I've covered. Mm -hmm. um, I've been covering these sort of things since... I want to say 2013. Um, I've been active in covering and participating in the various sort of uprisings and popular revolutionary movements over the last 10 years or so. Uh, and so this is just the latest thing that I've been covering. I found that um, it's, it's, I've been most useful by doing the work that I do. Uh, and, you know, this is I say I'm not a journalist because I I am benefiting from the service that I'm giving. I'm not doing this as a job. I am benefiting personally as a Sudanese person who needs the world to know what's happening mm -hmm. in Sudan, who is dependent on the success of whatever revolutionary movement or um, uprising that's happening for my for my own personal benefit and the benefit of my family. So it's not you know it's not a job to me it's a duty mm. that i'm you know that i'm performing as as a as a sudanese person and so um i guess maybe the 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 most 
the work that people know me most for is the coverage of the revolution in 2019 uh, and then the coverage of the coup in 2021. Um, that's, I think, what if you ask Sudanese people who know me, they will say, oh, we we started following Sarah for for mm-hmm. that coverage. And would you say um, you're... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> would you say most of the most of your audience is Sudanese people? Um, for the most part, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, that demographic is changing uh, with people started becoming more aware of what's happening in Sudan and becoming more aware of their role as people in a global community to mm-hmm. support these kind of causes. I think that's changing, but definitely in 2019 and 2021, especially when Sudan dropped back out of the world consciousness, I think, you know, my audience has been, has been majority Sudanese, I'll say. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Let me see if I can make this thing work, but I I think this is worth watching. Okay. Of the war in Sudan, and I'm here to give you a quick and dirty of what's been going on. First up, some geography. This is Sudan. We are a country in Africa. We're bordered by Egypt, Libya, Chad, the Central African Republic, South Sudan, Ethiopia, and Eritrea. We had a beautiful popular uprising turned revolution in 2019 that was totally ruined by these two guys. On the right, we have, we'll just call him Burhan. He's the leader of the Sunni's military called SAF. On the left, you have, we'll just call him Hemeti. He's the leader of the rapid support forces called the RSF. I'll cut to the chase. They're both bad. Burhan is bad because he was part of the military dictatorship that Sunnis people revolted against in 2019 in the first place. And then after the revolution, instead of handing over power to a civilian government like everybody wanted, he decided, nah, I want to be president. Hemeti is bad because he's a psychopath. Before the fancy uniform and the fancy title, he was leader of the Janjaweed. If you remember the Darfur War, you know what the Janjaweed are. If you don't, then it is basically a militia contracted by the Sudanese government to kill people in Darfur. Fast forward, he is legitimized by the Sudanese government. They go from Janjaweed to rapid support forces. He gets a fancy uniform and a fancy title. He amasses mountains of wealth and has aspirations to lead. Up until they started tussling on April 15th, these two were essentially president and vice president of Sudan. Now Burhan and Saf claim that the RSF is a rebel militia, they're a terrorist organization, and that Saf is the one protecting Sudan. Meanwhile, Hemeti and the RSF claim that they are protectors of democracy, that they are fighting against Saf to rid it of the remnants of the previous dictatorship, i.e. Burhan. So on April 15th, the war breaks out. It starts in Khartoum, essentially, and then moves through cities and towns all through central Sudan and into western Sudan. This, by the way, is a map from October 7th showing the number of displaced people and where they were displaced to posterity. Now, earlier I said they're both bad. That's true. But the RSF is way worse. Over the last seven months, the RSF has been committing heinous crimes against the Sudanese people. Besides the indiscriminate killing and bombing, they've also been raiding and looting towns, villages, neighborhoods, homes, expelling people from their homes after they've raided and looted them, and then sometimes even moving. Sexual violence is also a weapon that they have often used in the last six or so months. And all of these crimes that I've listed are part of their legacy dating back to when they were still the Janjaweed. There is absolutely no way that I could list all of the devastating effects that this war has had on Sudan and Sudanese people over the last six months in a three-minute video. And after practically six and a half months of fighting, Saf and the RSF are currently in negotiations and can't even agree on the basics. 
And why would they need to when their funding is still rolling in and the world has shown it does not care? Think of it, <clears throat> if we look at the comments, which I won't go back to it, but if we look at the comments, there's still people saying, this is the first I've heard of it. This is the first I've heard of it. This is the first I've heard of it. When you're, you're shifting from, you know, I'm guessing tweeting and you say, okay, let me make a video. What was, what was the idea there? Funnily enough, I started making videos. Really? Okay. On, on day one, day one's update or recap of, of the first day of the war was a video. Um, and maybe, I can't remember exactly when I stopped making the videos, but uh, yeah, I, the recap started, you know, on Instagram started with videos. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd write the, the, the thread on Twitter and then I would transfer and convert it into a video on Instagram because I thought people would engage more with seeing a person tell them the information. You know, they don't have to sit down and read it. They can listen to it as they're doing something else. It's just more accessible this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just got really hard. Uh, the more the war progressed and the more crimes were committed um, and the more news was coming out of Sudan, it just became soul crushing to make the videos and have, you know, so little views on them. But also just on a personal note, it became very difficult for me to sit in front of a camera and talk about it without crying, without showing emotion, you know, trying to be as objective as possible, as informational and educational as possible. It, it was, it was soul crushing. Uh, And so I switched to the, the, you know, just posting the screenshots from the Twitter, Twitter thread. Yeah. Um, the point to where I got to making these educational videos is, to be honest, I really, I really don't know. I just saw people talking about Sudan and not really knowing what's happening, but talking about it in relation to uh, uh, what's happening in Palestine. Hmm. You know, that was kind of like, oh, well, there's this other thing happening here, but we have no idea what it is. And it just seems so... Uh, far away and also this is an African problem of course this is just part of the African legacy of like violence and unrest so not worth paying attention to and actually the first video public video I say public because up until this point like I said the only the only people who are following these videos and this information were Sudanese people Mm -hmm. by and large and so the first video that sort of got widespread attention was a video I made drawing parallels between what's happening in Palestine and what's happening in Sudan. And it was just three simple points about the violence, about the displacement and the disenfranchisement that Sudanese people are going through the same in, this, in a very similar way to what Palestinians have been going through. Of course, the context is completely different, um, but you know, the, the oppressive tactics are eerily similar. So that's that's sort of what I was that's the video that kind of got people interested in, oh, wait, so what's going on in Sudan? And that's what prompted me to make that overview because a lot of people just had no idea, like none whatsoever. So I have a really interesting question in the chat, and I think actually this is a, is a good representative one, um, is asking for an introduction to Sudan. Mm. And what what, yeah. what, a, what a hard question, right? Tell me about Sudan, <laughs> right? You know, like not a surprising one, though. Maybe we could even back up and maybe even personally, what what is your connection? <laughs> um, I grew up 
the majority of my life outside of Sudan. I spent maybe um, four or five years in total as a as a child in Sudan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we'd go back for for summers, and then when I graduated college, um, I went back and I, I stayed there for for a significant amount of time. But my connection to Sudan uh, defies that. It defies my being outside of it. It defies the borders. It defies the distance. It is, I, the connection has been um, metaphorically beaten into me. <laughs> my parents did a an incredible job of instilling a deep connection, uh, relationship with Sudan. Um, that that I can't. I'm so grateful for because mm-hmm. other kids who grew up in the diaspora don't have that same connection. Um, my parents, my father in particular, was adamant about me knowing, or about us, you know, me and my siblings, knowing Sudan on an intimate level, not just oh this is where you come from or this is where we come from, but knowing history, knowing deep cuts of the culture to okay. to the point where when I moved back I there was a disconnect because I knew a Sudan that my parents had lived in and grown up in right right and so I I was carrying all of this history and all of this heritage but also all of these cultural ideas these customs that maybe no longer exist or no longer exist in the same way um you know things that uh, modernization had done away with or at least pushed to the side things that people thought were no longer relevant to our you know our modern lifestyle particularly in Khartoum as as the capital city but my parents neither of them are from Khartoum so Mm -hmm. you know I I also have this like these like village values and a village mentality that wasn't compatible in a lot of ways with Khartoum and so whereas in the beginning that was such a struggle for me and it caused a lot of like mental emotional anguish of like well then what did i learn you know where is this place that i learned about where is this place that you convinced me was real right where is this place that i thought i would just fit right into because i knew all the things i speak the language i speak sudanese in a way that like i can't communicate with other arabic speakers you know from the middle east because my accent is so Sudanese. I speak a Sudanese dialect that is dying out, essentially, is what I found out. Wow. You know, words that were not used anymore, words that people were like, no, you're making it up. That's not, that's not real. Or it was, oh, you didn't grow up in America. You can't speak like this and grow up in America. You can't think this way and have grown up in America. You see what I'm saying? So, you know, my connection is that. My connection is I... There was no way for me to to not be connected to Sudan. My parents did not allow for that. And I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for it. Is there any defining, you've mentioned language, you've mentioned words, you've mm-hmm. mentioned thoughts, things like that. Is there any defining thing where if somebody said, okay, what is in your mind, you know, that you were taught, what is Sudan for you? You know, uh, I might get pushback for this, but Sudanese people do community in a way that I have not seen anywhere else on this planet. Anybody else that I have dealt with, I don't know community like Sudanese community. And again, like 
this is one of the things that, you know, even when I moved back and I, I you know, we lived in Khartoum. Like I said, my parents are both originally not from there. They are from, you know, my dad is from a small village uh, up north. My mother is um, from a small village. Well, she would call it a town. I would call it a village um, <laughs> towards the south. Uh, you know, um, the sense of community, the sense of uh, who is family is completely different than other places. Mm. Um, in Sudan, your neighbors are your family. Um, your third, fourth, fifth cousins are your direct family. There's no such thing as extended family in Sudan. Mm. Um, everybody is family in one way or another. And that's what makes, within the context of this war, that's what makes this so different and what people, I, I think, would have a hard time understanding. When we say we're supporting people back home, we're not talking about, you know, parents or siblings or cousins we're talking about the village you know right. what i'm saying mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a much you know supporting family has a much wider definition than in other places and so yeah i mean if you talk to anybody who knows sudanese people who has been around sudanese people they will talk to you about this thing of community the fact that you know even in the diaspora if someone dies, the entire community comes together, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, even the within the within the context of like the funeral, there's a, a it's a, an entire system that I don't think is replicated in the same way in other places, uh, or exists in the same way in other places. I should say, uh, for example, here in the states, you'll have a repast, right? And people will come and they'll bring food and whatever and, and that sort of you know it's contained within a couple days uh in sudan it's a week long the funeral is a week long and people come and they just stay in the home where okay. you know the family with the family of the deceased mm. um it's a, at once a, a, a gesture of support but also it's a very practical thing of like people are going to come give their condolences the family doesn't have the mental bandwidth to deal with these you know Right. These waves of people coming in. So this is where the neighbors, the extended family, um, the friends take over. Mm -hmm. They make the meals, they make the tea, um, they make sure that there's a place for people to sit, a place for people to sleep. Um, where I, where my parents are from, this is like a 40 day affair. 40, right? four zero. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Al-Arba'in is a very known concept in Sudan. 40 days, and then that's it. Then there's no more giving condolences. Then people go back to their lives. But for 40 days, you are in mourning, and you are ex expecting people to come all the time, and your family from outside of wherever you live is coming in all the time, and they're spending a week with you. They're spending two weeks with you to give their con That's how we give condolences. We don't just come and show up and leave, right? Wow. Now in Khartoum, like I said, with with life changing, lifestyles changing in the capital, that uh, doesn't really exist in the same way anymore. So now mm. you know it'll be three days. 
right? It's a three-day thing. And people don't usually come and stay. It's just the close family or close friends will come stay. But most people just come give their condolences and they leave. Maybe they'll have a meal at your house to show you how much they truly care. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, that was just an example of like how things have changed. But also I carry the 40-day thing. Yeah. That in my mind, a funeral is 40 days. And so when I moved back to Sudan and I would go to all these funerals, like my cousins would be like, why are you doing this? My cousins who grew up in Sudan would say, why are you doing this? Why are you going? This is old people stuff. Why are you going two, three times a week to the funeral home, right? To, to, to help out and give, and I'm like, that's, isn't that what everybody does? And they're like, wow. No. Yeah. That's so old timey. What are you doing? You're not an auntie. Why are you acting like an auntie? That, that was what I would hear people say, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. But anyway, to, <laughs> to summarize, uh, yeah. community. I would say community, yeah. Oh, no. sorry. I just want to say something really quickly. Yes, Because, say. yeah, I, I mean, how community is playing out right now mm-hmm. is people who are fleeing violence in conflict zones are being taken in by complete strangers. Right, right now, the, the the biggest event in the last two weeks or so was uh, the RSF's attack of a city of Medini. Medini is a city south of Khartoum. It's the capital of Jazeera State. It's where some 500,000 uh, people fled out of Khartoum to Medini in the beginning of the war. Right, throughout the last eight months. Five hundred half a RSF, million people. I'm, so, half a million people. Sometimes yeah. I just gotta. At a certain point, you get you, you say numbers, and they don't mean anything anymore. I, and you, so you, you, you know this better me. than I do, but sometimes you just gotta say them twice because maybe it'll sink in again. Like that, that's yeah. I've been trying to do that recently. It's just I'll say the number. And I appreciate you for incredible. doing that. I appreciate you for stopping me because I've I've reached a point where I'm just rattling off things, right? Mm. Because. I'm trying to get as much information out as possible. And people don't really pause to think about what it means for 500,000 people to leave their homes. Yeah. Leave their homes and make it an, a considerable distance. I mean, Medini is not close. It's a three-hour drive at the very least. Mm-hmm. If you have a car. Right? If you have a car. If you have a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the RSF attacked Medini, People had to flee not only the 500,000 who came to Medini, but also the residents of Medini themselves. Yeah. Had to flee to, you know, uh, villages on the outskirts of Medini throughout Jazeera State into neighboring Sinar State, which is south of uh, Jazeera. And they were taken in by strangers. My uncle, who was working in Medini, he fled from Khartoum, he's working in Medini. Uh, and his family was staying in a village outside of Medini, mm-hmm. where uh, so his wife's sister lives, right? They're, they were staying there. My uncle had to work. So he moved into Medini, stayed with, just was just renting a room with a bunch of people. And when the RSF attacked, he couldn't make it back to the village where his family is staying. So he had to leave on foot and just stop at a village in the middle of the night where they reached and stay with complete strangers wow. and then move from a diff from that village in the morning to walk to, you know, and I'm, I'm saying this, I'm not even sure of the distances, but this is not close. We're not talking about neighborhoods, right? We're talking about significant distances yeah. to make it to the next village over. 
And at some point, uh, you know, in their walk to safety, they were confronted by the RSF. They came across RSF forces who stopped them and immediately took their phones. And then they just, you know, they were lucky to escape with their lives. And they reached a village and he called his son by, you know, he borrowed a phone from someone in this village, a complete stranger who took him in because they're displaced people who are, who have nowhere else to go, right? He borrowed a phone. He called his son to tell him that he was still alive and that, you know, he's in, in this particular village. And my dad called my cousin who told us this information. And it's been four days now that we have not heard from my uncle. Um, but I say all this to say that folks are relying on uh, this sense of community to survive. And what we're doing in the diaspora is uh, activating the sense of community to support the people back home. And like I said, we're not supporting just our families. We are donating and rallying and mobilizing for the folks in displacement camps, people we've never met, hundreds of thousands of people who are in desperate need of help. And in the absence of humanitarian organizations in the absence of the, you know, these systems that the world has set up for this exact situation. Right. It falls upon us as, as Sudanese people to do that. And if we didn't have this sense of community, then those people would be, they would have no hope. They would have no hope. There's, there's a few things and I want to touch on what you just said. I mean, one of those is I want to talk about the phone thing in a second because I think the phone thing is extremely important. Also keeping in mind that you said his phone was taken and then he called somebody. So just no joke in chat, your emergency contact. I'm going to actually ask you all this question in in chat. I want to actually ask you, there's a few of y'all in here. Type a one if your emergency contact, you know the number by heart and you could call them. If your phone is gone and you can give them a ring right now because there's an emergency. Type a one if you could call them right now. You got to go to a dial-up phone. You can call them. Type two if you cannot. Or give, give me I'm a, so like, curious yeah, to I'm, know I'm because curious. I was telling my dad. I was telling my dad, isn't it a miracle that he memorized his son's number? I don't know anybody's number. I know one person's number by heart. I know, I know my dad's number, and the only That's reason, I actually, them. I know my parents' numbers, mm-hmm. and the only reason I know them is because they need me to know them to like put it in at Walgreens when they need their prescriptions <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's the only reason so I know the their discount? numbers by heart. <laughs> yeah, I have two brothers. I don't know either of their phone numbers by heart. Yeah, same. Yeah. I, 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 man, I talked to my brother. Like, if if you took Discord away from me. I can't talk to my brother anymore. We're yeah. gone. That's <laughs> that's, it. <laughs> that's it. I I I really spiraled after I got that. Like after the initial relief of knowing that my uncle was okay four days ago, um, I spiraled because I was like thinking about myself in that situation. I would be dead. Who would I call? I would have no idea who to call because I wouldn't have no numbers. Yeah. Let's see. Um, it's about split. Honestly, we got we got some ones and we got some. We got some twos. Listen, my advice, memorize a number. Memorize a number today. (laughs) 
I mean, may you never be in a situation where you have to. Yeah. But yeah, I no. I yeah, but I mean, but but these these are things. That, these are just the the simple mechanical logistical things that people are having to think of. I mean, imagine a million of those decisions, a million of those things to yeah. keep in mind. You know, what is the address of this person? What is the connection of this person to this person? What if one person doesn't pick up? I might need I might need to know. You know, what if that person got their phone taken too? Right. I don't memorizing one number isn't enough. Yeah. I need to know three or four. I mean, shoot, you probably know this in protests. You know, you know what people do is when people go out to protest, they write emergency contacts right. on their hands. You know why we do that is because we're not good at remembering numbers anymore, especially in a stressful situation. You forget things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, seasoned protesters will write this stuff on their arms, you know, with a magic marker or whatever, two or three, you know, the number of emergency contact, number of a lawyer, right. the number of whatever. And and still, you know, <laughs> it, it, this seems, you know, small and mundane. Um, but again, imagine so many of those small little adjustments that you have to make just in order to think you know everything seems okay today maybe it's not tomorrow and here right. are the things that i have to be you know keeping in mind or whatever um but there's, there's another bit of the, the phone part that i want to come to but you know you were talking about that locally people are having to come together and and take mm -hmm. care of each other you know also in the diaspora um and you mentioned the you know the organizations which were set up for just such a crisis right and this is this is mm -hmm. to be really clear i mean the un has been calling this a crisis i mean i, I if if we want to do numbers again i mean close to 5 million at 5 million people at extreme risk of extreme hunger no food. Five million people. I mean, I don't know how many people in here are even from a town that has a quarter of that size. That is an incredible amount of people, right? And that's just yeah. basic food. Basic food, right? Um, I'm going to throw a loaded somewhat question at you. Why do you think it is that we aren't hearing more about this. Um, there are several reasons. Mm. Um, I'll start with the more uh, I don't know what the word to use is. I'll start with the least offensive. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the least offensive reason is that the world is distracted. Mm. The world is distracted by what's been happening in Palestine since October 7th. Mm. Right. Um, and with great reason, what's happening there is a, is a tragedy. It's a travesty. It's a crime against humanity. Um, but also before that, the world was distracted. The world mm. was distracted by the war in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've seen how um, the war in Ukraine was reflected in the media, how it was reported in the media, that, it, that it's a travesty, a tragedy, but not just a tragedy because there's war and because one nation is, you know, 
violating another nation. It was, how could this happen to people who look like us? Right. Not me, of course. But, you know, the us that matter. And not me either. Not a lot of people right. who are in the chat, <laughs> frankly. Right. right. I think I, I think we should genuinely not ever forget that that's how the coverage started. I don't think we can, like, mm-hmm. I don't think this is something necessarily that, I'm not, I'm not even saying, you know, send hate mail to the reporter who said this because it was not one reporter. Oh, no. It was, it was nothing like that. It was just that this was a sentiment that made sense to say. And, and if that, we want to be real, this mm-hmm. is a sentiment that people don't even realize that they have. Yes. Like it's, yes. it's, it was such a visceral reaction for, for them that it really came out, in my opinion, it came out truly genuinely. Mm-hmm. They were genuinely shocked that this could ha- this, that people who look like them could live like that yeah. or could be living those circumstances mm-hmm. because they had always been, we've been conditioned. Like I said before, we've been conditioned to think that this only happens in the third world. This mm-hmm. only happens in Africa. When I think violence and unrest, I immediately think of a black face. I don't think of a white one. Yeah. And so, you know, they were they were genuine in their shock. They were genuine in their, uh, you know, being in being appalled because they really didn't think it could ever happen. And so, when we talk about the Sudanese crisis, the main issue that we've had to, you know, that we need still to overcome in order to even get anywhere in terms of the basics of, of, of providing humanitarian aid or whatever, is trying to overcome people's um, implicit bias, right? Yeah. That, like, isn't this always happening to you? Like, how many times do we have to save you or help you? Because mm-hmm. this has been happening to you, right? Yeah, and I think... And which brings me to the... Yeah. No, I think even just genuinely in... I think the way you put it, that it came from a genuine place. I think that's entirely true. And I think, you know, I mean, in the chat right now, Hollow Rage put it really well, is that even less than the, even more so adding on to it, they look like us. It's, oh, this doesn't happen to people who look like this. Like you could Mm -hmm. be black and in the U.S., African-American and think, wait, they they do that over there? I thought... Mm -hmm. It's and it's all internalized. It's all internalized. Where it it, it was a Absolutely. genuine, you know, when you see things like this, I think genuinely it comes off as a shock. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. precisely that. And again, this is something I've I've seen you talk about um, in a few different places across a few different videos. But yeah, I think that's that's a big thing. Is just like you say is, you know, the way you put it. Where wait, isn't this just what happens? over there mm-hmm. big big scare quotes so, over over there but you know what i mean right yeah. it's so it's like i've you know we already knew this as people mm-hmm. from the global south as africans we, we already knew how people perceive uh conflict or unrest or crisis in our in our countries right but it's been really fascinating to watch it play out on the internet um because People don't realize how offensive uh, what they're saying is and how much they've bought into that idea, mm. uh, you know, 
but when you read their comments, you're like, how could you, how could you say this? The idea that like, yeah. this is an internal issue in Sudan, right? That was one of the things that um, people said to justify not caring or not tapping in. Well, that's an internal issue. So it's not the same as Palestine, for example, because they're two different people fighting each other. Yes. But you, aren't you're all, all the just, same. Aren't y'all just right. African? Aren't y'all, yeah. Right. Isn't this so just why, some tribe, like, know. isn't just some tribe stuff that, like, aren't y'all right. always be, like, an ethnic conflict. Fight? Yeah, yeah, like, tribes fighting mm -hmm. against each other. Y'all just do that. So you could just stop, right? Because you, you look the same, right, right? Right, What does that have to do with me all over the way that. over here? Yeah. But then, again, you know... It's it's so interesting to see people see the connections uh, in other conflicts, mm -hmm. see how their countries or their communities play a role in what's happening abroad. But when it comes to Africa, no, we're not involved in that. How could we be involved in that? It's so far away. And you guys are always fighting. Yeah. So, yeah, to go back to your original question, though, I just, you know, I don't want this to be... Um, I don't want it to be just like us blaming the international community or, you know, it's, it is anti-black racism. It is, uh, you know, implicit bias about Africa and African conflict. It's all of that. Mm. But it is also partially, you know, like, like a lot of Sudanese people have been saying, this is first and foremost a war against the Sudanese people. It is a war between two generals, two militaries, but it is a war against the Sudanese people. And it, it's a war against the Sudanese people because it, you know, our government is preventing the little aid that is coming in from reaching affected communities, mm -hmm. right? There have been a lot of impediments, a lot of um, obstacles that humanitarian organizations have faced, including not allowing their staff to come into the country, not granting them visas, you know, putting a lot of restrictions on their movement and on the movement of um, humanitarian aid, but also uh, not being open to providing safe passages or having even temporary ceasefires to allow for the humanitarian aid to reach these affected places, particularly the conflict zones, but just all over, right? Because yeah. this war is affecting everybody. Um, our government does not like us. Our military does not like us. When the RSF attacked Medini, SAF left. They took their stuff and they left. And the only people who were left to protect Medini were civilian recruits who are not equipped to be in a war with a seasoned militia. It's SAF so, here being the <coughs> actual army. The Sunnis Armed Forces. Right. The actual the official, official national military. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They the left. army dips. They dipped. Which is they dipped. Why? Like I don't want to make light yeah. of this. That's wild. It's wild. Different. No, it's the. It's, it's a wild. weird it's sentence to say. Wild. Yeah. 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 You I, know, one of the the hard things to have to explain. Um, <coughs> excuse me about this war is the fact that <clears throat> we're in 
the Sunnis people are caught between a rock and a hard place. Hmm. The rock is the Sunnis military and the hard place is the RSF. We are not finding protection from either side. Yeah. <coughs> and, and, and I'll even just very, very briefly even summarize what you said, you know, the, the RSF and, you know, and then the official army, right? These are two, essentially you have two really armies, right? You have two really military organizations. This is not a situation of, you know, you've got this small renegade outfit that is, you know, running around and, you know, trying to do things here and there and this bigger, more powerful army. These are two heavily well-equipped organizations that both in terms of equipment and tactics know what they are doing. Um, but heavily armed, heavily funded. Yeah. Externally funded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, frankly, if, if you want, and this is kind of up to you, um, we can get into the geopolitics of it. We can get into, you know, there, there's some questions, you know, who, who's, who's funding, why, uh, who's involved, who stands to gain from these sorts of things. Um, I want to do something a little, I mean, th this is why it gets a little bleak, right? Is, is a few people in, in chat have mentioned, uh, you know, oh, well, there isn't, you know, people don't really care unless there's something to be gained, you know, something to be gained from them. Right. And one of the wildest headlines I've seen, but I'm not mad at it is, is this one right here. So this is Reuters. So Reuters being, you know, about as even keeled, uh, usually as, as we've got in the English language, uh, this joint right here. Sudan conflict threatens supply of key soft drink ingredient gum Arabic. I think that you, was you the mean, exact yeah. headline I was going to quote. Really? That was the headline that made it to American news outlets, by the way. Incre so, by the way, for, for those, those of y'all who were watching when, when I was doing this on Vice, you remember we talked about Sudan about around this time, and this was one of the articles that we okay. joked about. Uh, we joked about this. It wasn't this exact article, but this is one of the things we were joking about. And we've joked about this, joked in kind of a bleak, cynical way, um, in other in other ways. But I mean, let's let's just take a just let me just read you the opening couple lines here to show you where this enters the consciousness for genuinely a lot of people, right? And people again are being genuine here. All right, so this is from April twenty eighth. April twenty eighth. We're in December. We're about to close out 2023 right now. April 28th. Sudan's eruption into conflict has left international consumer goods makers racing, racing to shore up supplies of gum Arabic. One of the country's most sought after products and a key ingredient in everything from fizzy drinks to candy and cosmetics. About 70% of the world's supply of gum Arabic, for which there are few substitutes, comes from the acacia trees in the Sahel region that runs through Africa's third largest country, which is being torn apart by fighting between the army and a paramilitary force. Last paragraph that I'll read here. 
Wary of Sudan's persistent insecurity, companies dependent on the products such as Coca-Cola and PepsiCo have long stockpiled supplies, some keeping between three to six months' worth to avoid being caught short, experts, exporters and industry sources told Reuters. And then it goes on to say that well, prior conference, prior conflicts tended to be focused in areas such as Darfur, but this time the capital has brought been brought to a standstill, and it's getting worse. So they're talking about this from a strictly, strictly business perspective, and then this is this is where it enters the conversation. And there are other places where Sudan should enter the conversation in terms of economics. We don't have to get into all of that, but no joke. And I remember we we kind of cynically joked about this months and months ago, but it sometimes it feels like you got to write a headline like, "Hey man, you might not have Pepsi if you don't mm-hmm. do something." Like you might not get your diet. Like, do you like Diet Coke? Stand right. up for Sudan. It's right. bleak, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, how, how is this conversation been playing out amongst people you know? You know, um, funnily enough, this is what many Sudanese people sarcastically went to first. Really? Because we knew that people didn't care about whether we lived or died. And so what do they care about? Well, you care about, you know, your pot, your soda. So, hey, in case you don't care that people are dying, your soda supplies are in, you know, in danger. And and it worked. That's why that headline exists. That's why that headline made it to NBC or whatever American um, uh, <clears throat> outlet it was. I think it was NBC because, because Coke was in danger, because Pepsi was in danger. Not because people were being slaughtered, but, you know, because... Sudan produces out of that seventy percent um, of gum arabic that comes out of the Sahel, eighty percent of it is from Sudan. So you know, bleak. Bleak is definitely the word. Bleak is definitely the word. I mean, it's it's bleak, not only because <coughs> of, of that, but but another bleak part of it is, it's hard to necessarily get mad at the person who wrote the headline because it could very well be that the person who wrote the headline knows yo this is how i'm gonna get people to pay attention to this i don't know this reporter but i could definitely see myself i mean honestly maybe that's what i should title this episode is like hey do you like coca-cola do you like soda (laughs) do you like soda here's the war that could stop you from having soda if something isn't done like that that is genuinely i feel like if you like soda watch this video yeah if you like soda watch this video it genuinely feels like yeah like there's a subversion for a good cause like you have to capture attention by any means necessary and and this is one of those yeah yeah um you know uh we've We've had to be very creative with how we present this conflict. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, 
a lot of times it's at the expense of our humanity. And that's really hard to do. It's very hard to say, care about me because I'm the person who provides this for you. Hmm. It's been very difficult to see, but it works. Like you said, it works. So, you know, I, I, I'm still on the fence. I'm still sort of like between whatever works and also God, why is it, this is the only way that it it works. Why is this the only way that we show that we're human? And the same way that I really hate comparing or trying to link Sudan's conflict to, um, I won't even say the, I won't even say the Palestinian conflict, I'll say the trend. Because this is the, the new and hot thing right now, right? I hate linking the two because I'm feeding into the trend as opposed to honoring the humanity of Palestinians and the humanity of cities. Yeah. The linking of different things, even though they are linked, you know, and, and, and should be linked, really, I think, is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. I mean, I've seen, I've seen, say for example, um, Malcolm X's name used a lot um, because he actually did have things to say about Palestine. I've seen Martin Luther King's name used who, who had less to say, um, but much less actually, but publicly anyway. But I think it's, and then comparing to different, conflicts globally um and i talked with a colleague about this too recently i'm always thinking about this is that part of it one of the things that she said was that the reason reporters i think or journalists do this i think the the good way to take this is that it's attempting to shake you out of your just day-to-day kind of zombie mode and get you to imagine a lot of what we do, and I think a lot of what, what you're doing as well, is trying to get somebody to imagine, okay, if this doesn't feel relevant to you, imagine if you were there. Maybe that will make some of this sink in, you know, for the same reason that we say numbers and we say, and we, you know, emphasize numbers sometimes when we have to is, okay, let that sink in a little bit more. Um, but yeah, the the desire to compare, I understand it, and I think it's valid, but it also sometimes, for some people, it feels like it it, it takes away or it's offensive. And, mm-hmm. you know, I try to be patient with that too, but at the same time, I also feel like these are not different solar systems that we're talking about here. I mean, these are, these places yeah. are actually quite close, but also yeah. <clears throat> they're genuinely, but all these places are genuinely connected. It's not like somebody stays inside their little border and then never leaves. Right. Some do, lots don't. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? The reality is these conflicts are linked. Mm-hmm. These struggles are absolutely linked. There are, you know, um, overarching 
powers that have their hands in both. There, the the there are similarities in the form of oppression and the weapons used. These oppressive um, powers, oppressive forces, trade secrets. They trade weapons. They trade uh, tactics. They trade information on how to subjugate their their people or the people within their borders. But the problem is, is that within the context of social media, mm-hmm. right, which is what we're relying on now to to get to ironically to get political change movement, mm-hmm. some sort of action, is that it's it's very reductionist. Yeah. Like when when we talk about Sudan Right, even in the comments of that video, that overview video, everybody wanted to know how Israel is involved. I just know it. I just know Israel is involved. Uh, sure, yes, but also, this is not about Israel. Mm-hmm. Yes, Israel is involved. Yes, uh, the RSF uses weapons from Israel. Right, Israel, the Israeli government has a relationship with the RSF. The Israeli government has a relationship with SAF. But this is not about them. But everybody wants to know where the direct connection is. Right? Mm-hmm. And that is just reduces it to folks want to understand this conflict within their very narrow frame of reference. Yeah without being open to understanding the similarities, but also the unique context of this particular conflict. I think it also, it, it risks, the, oh, yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say that that's the struggle that I personally have been facing in trying to mm. explain this, is that inevitably the comments are always going to come back to, but bring it to where I think it should be. Yes. Yeah, and and that's that's hard to it's hard to get people out of that mindset. And this is this would be the double-edged sword of the comparison is because by comparing you 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 link things which are linked, right? Listen, if if it makes it easier for somebody, if it makes, you know, th- this group I'm not talking to y'all cuz y'all y'all know you already on the same page with us. But, you know, for some people, if I need to make their if I need to explain it to a little bit of if I need to explain this to them a bit better, I could say, or more, bring them in a bit more. I could say, hey, uh, you mm-hmm. ever heard of Wagner? You know them dudes out there, you know, right. causing some havoc over in Ukraine? You know, you know they're kind of involved, too. Do you know that? Oh, okay, my, your ears per- perk up, right? And we, UAE, we could bring in all bunch of players, you know, shadowy and not. We could do all that. We could bring in the United States. We can bring in basically whoever you want. And yes, that is true. I worry that it it does a couple things. One, it risks turning this into a kind of weird political chess game. You start thinking about it as chess. Ah, I see. This guy and this guy and this guy are doing this. And okay, I understand now. Cool. And and it feels like you just solved the Rubik's Cube and you can put the Rubik's Cube down on the table and walk away. Is it, hey, right. remember the part that we said about five million people are hungry remember that part like you saw the rubik's cube they're still hungry 
Like I, I'm happy right. for you. I'm very happy <laughs> that you now understand it. Yeah. Like you get a hundred out of a hundred on your, you know, international relations test. They're still hungry. I'm and, so glad I agreed to come on this uh, with you and to talk to you because you are what you're saying right now is a is a bomb on my soul. It's a salve right now. Because at some point you feel like you're crazy. You feel like you've lost your mind. Because there is such satisfaction for people in knowing, like you said, in solving the Rubik's Cube. Mm. In figuring it out. I'm smart. I see the connections. I got my third eye open. Uh. But we're still hungry and dying. And like I'm talking to you about all these other things that I really need your support on, these other aspects that I would really like your attention on, but you have stopped paying attention because you've reached the point that you of satisfaction for you. Whatever mm. curiosity you had in your mind has been satisfied, right. and that's it. And then you can go off and, and say to yourself that, I participated. I'm aware. I'm up on current events. But mm-hmm. yes, this is a current event, but it is also a lived reality. Yeah. And that's the part that we're missing. Yeah. Shout out to you, sir, for <laughs> convincing you to come Listen, through. Listen, shout out to you, <laughs> for setting this up because I didn't know how much I needed this. I, I won't lie. I was like, I'm sick, you know. I'm nervous. I'm a little tired, but I'm I'm glad I'm here. I'm so um, glad I'm here. I'm very glad you're here. I'm very glad you're here. I got I got to send you the picture we have of us like in London, looking like we're about to drop a mixtape or something. It was incredible. <laughs> she was she, she's super kind to of me. But no, I I think that's so much of it though is is just feeling like yeah, okay, I get it, I get it. Um, as you've mentioned, and it has been very well established um sexual violence is being used as a tool here um and you know i think there we we could go on and on about the horrors that we're seeing we could go on that that people are seeing that people are living through again the un has been called this a crisis has been said they said it's the the worst humanitarian disaster yeah currently in the world which says a lot. Which says a lot. If they say it's yeah. the worst humanitarian, like, we don't need to compare things, but let's think about what a lot of people are focusing on or a lot of people are aware of, if they are aware of it. And the UN has said this is the worst. That's, again, numbers cease to mean anything at a certain point. I mean, what what's the difference between 1 million and 5 million? Can you count that high? I can't. They, they they cease it ceases to become people yeah. I think um, mm-hmm. I want to address something which I've seen you address with great patience <laughs> um, but I want to read a, a comment um, you were trying to explain why people aren't seeing these viral videos 
like they're seeing in other places. And, and I think it is an important thing to understand. And there was a particular person who commented, who said, Hey, well, why aren't we getting live video? Why aren't we getting, where's the video of this? How do we know what's happening? I'm going to read this. I want to see live video. And then they say live video, media footage from people who are currently there showing what's happening in the present moment, not past recordings. These individuals can stream live about what is currently going on. The only way to verify that because something is actually currently happening is to see it live. So this is, and I want I want to be very. I, I see you laughing. You probably remember this one because this this was a heavy one, right? I do. Yeah. I do. I I, I want to be really on your behalf because I don't think you should be. I want to be very <laughs> diplomatic and generous to this person, but I wonder if you could tell me, um, you could give your explanation of okay, hold on. If this stuff is so bad, I've seen stuff from. Shoot, I've seen stuff from front lines of Ukraine. I've seen stuff out of Palestine. These <clears throat> images are horrible. Why am I not seeing anything out of there? Why why am I not seeing what's happening in Sudan? First, I want to dispel a myth mm. that nothing is coming out of Sudan. That is untrue. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah, please. Things are coming out of Sudan. Uh, lots of videos are coming out of Sudan. Mm -hmm. filmed by the same people who are committing the atrocity. Yeah. They are TikToking it like gangbusters. They're really having a great time documenting their uh, uh, campaign of terror. Mm -hmm. That has happened. And it's been happening uh, since day one. In fact, that those are the videos that Sudanese people share to show what's happening to each other mm -hmm. before the world captain. But the reason why civilians are not, um, I won't say are not, cannot. The reason why civilians cannot do the same And if I could even, is if, that, I could, if I can pause yeah. for just a second, just, just to, when you, I want to, I'm not going to show them, but I'll, I'll describe a few of these. I mean, these are videos of people when you say that, you know, this very same people who are committing the atrocities are putting the videos out, right? We're talking about, you know, people burning a town to the ground. The flames are still going and they're videoing the flame and celebrating and then playing music. Mm -hmm. Or there's a truly, truly heinous one. <clears throat> which I'm not going to show because I don't even think I could show that on Twitch. I think I might genuinely get this account taken down, but there's a person who is lying on the ground and it looks like a mummy or something like that. And then they move, it moves a little bit and you realize, Oh no, this is a person who has been wrapped up in saran wrap so tightly that they cannot move. They can breathe and they can kind of wiggle their fingers and that's it. Just imagine this. Um, Maybe, frankly, imagining it's probably worse than, than showing it to you, but it's yeah, there's a person lying on the ground. They're wrapped up in saran wrap. It looks like a coffin. And they're yeah. essentially saying, this is somebody who we've kidnapped. And this is going to speak to what, what you're talking about. They're going through their phone. They're, they're going to find every person who this person is connected to. 
every person who this person is connected to and demand money or worse. Yeah. And part of that threat is also that we're going to, this was in Medani, we're going to take them back to Khartoum and we're going to, we're going to do what we want with them. We're going to torture them there if you don't give us money or if, you know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> the RSF is really having, like I said, a great time sharing um, what they're doing to people with complete impunity. Um, so in that sense, the videos are there, the evidence is there, mm -hmm. but the reason why civilians can't show you what's happening to them is because let's start with the with the um with the logistical issues you know you 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 have very shoddy internet there are no telecommunications uh in many places it's completely cut off they're they're under a complete telecom blackout in other places you have to really try very hard to get access to a network and also, we forget that Sudan, you know, the Sudanese government over the last 30 years has uh, prioritized the capital at the expense of the rest of the country. So the kind of infrastructure that is available to folks in the capital, we can't say the same for other places, particularly right. small villages. You know, maybe the cities are, are a little better, but small villages and rural areas across Sudan have been cut off. You know, that's just how they've always lived, it, it, you know, underserved. Uh, with very little infrastructure. So that was an issue that's already there, and now in this war has become an even bigger disadvantage to people because now they're forced to stay in these rural areas that are already cut off from the world. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in that sense, there's that issue. Um, but also the, the deliberate uh, cutting of phone lines, the deliberate destruction of, of um, you know, telecom towers and whatever to make it so that people cannot communicate. That's just on the logistical side, yeah. on the, you know, but there's also the very real risk of being <clears throat> killed for recording. Any, any videos that you see from civilians are videos that they've recorded hiding behind a wall or in their homes, um, trying to get, you know, footage of what's happening, but you're worried for your life. And a lot of people have made this point <coughs> that even I didn't consider, which is that, you know, people are, again, are making the comparison. Well, <coughs> Palestinians are living through this horrendous situation. And they're being bombed constantly, but they're still bringing footage. We still see footage from the wreckage. We still footage of, mm -hmm. see footage of what they're ha what's happening to them. Why isn't the same coming out of Sudan? And the difference is, is that in Sudan, it's a face-to-face -face danger. You are coming face-to-face -face with, the, with these people. Besides the fact that they take your phone, they search your phone, and if you have anything related to the war on it, or even you mention it just, you know, tangentially, even if you're just saying, I'm escaping, you're not talking about what they're doing. You're talking about what you're doing or what your family is doing. That's, that's seen as, as a threat. But also... You're face to face with your attacker. Mm -hmm. You cannot hold up a phone and say, I'm going to record you searching my phone or I'm going to record you coming on this bus and, and, you know, and terrorizing people and shooting into the bus because you'll, you'll be shot. That's it. Yeah. 
And, and and that's what people are not understanding. The, the 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 risk is not just exposure. It's not just that you are you know um, it, you're not. It's not it's not just that you are a person who shows what's happening and therefore you have a target on your back. You have a target on your back regardless. Just by being a civilian, you have a target on your back. <clears throat> and how do you show the world that? When, you know, you can't, you know, that puts you at risk, but also your phone is taken from jump. Your phone is taken before you can even pull it out to record. Right. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's, again, <coughs> comparison Comparison is, is going to be difficult no matter what. But, you know, there's there's a difference between being able to walk around, you know, searching for people that, you know, oh, my gosh, did a neighborhood over there. <coughs> It looks like they got bombed. Let's run over there and see what happened. This is happening face to face, person to person. This isn't. And this people isn't are long still distance. doing that, right? Yeah. People are still doing that despite the risk. People. That's that's one of the things that you know really. That's pro- probably the most upsetting thing to me is the fact that people are still doing that despite the very real risk. People mm-hmm. are still, um, you know, facing that risk and in order to to show what's happening. Like people are still taking video and pictures of, of their of you know their neighborhoods that are bombed, mm-hmm. of the things that they that they're doing in order to survive, like the soup kitchens that they've set up, you know, in in areas that are under siege by the RSF. Um, those pictures are coming out. Those videos are coming out. But the real question becomes: Why do you need to see people at their very worst? Yeah. In order to believe that they that they deserve help, why do we need to see the the videos of you know uh, of parents holding their dead children for us to be like, oh no, this is a terrible situation? Why is that the point where you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna take a stand now? Yeah, you know, it's it's we're just so used to trauma porn we're so used to seeing people's suffering that to me i think it doesn't serve as much as it um exploits the exploitation outweighs the service i make it a point not to share um graphic images out of sudan because i don't want to feed into that and i think you know, these videos that the RSF makes, these are the videos that are truly heinous and that truly show the reality of the violence and depravity that's happening. And these videos are made specifically to demean the people that they are inflicting that depravity on. Yeah. By me sharing it, I am adding to that. I am participating in it. And that's why I don't. And I think that's why a lot of people, um, non-Sudanese people who are following my page are disappointed when I don't show that kind of content because that's what they want to see, but I'm not going to participate in the further dehumanization of my people. Like that's just not a thing that I'm ready to do. And you know, if they're not okay with it and the the content is boring because it's just me explaining it to you, I'm okay with that. The content is boring. I'm sorry. I just had to say that back to you. 
This is not. This is not offense to you. This is not well, offense. That's what it is. This is. This is what. This is how. This is, is what that's we do. What it is. is the is my content mm-hmm. boring? I'm sorry. People who who comment. A lot of the comments are thank you for your content. And I'm like, this this isn't content. This isn't content. Content. No. <laughs> thank you for your content. Not the content. Thank you for your educational content. It's not content. It's. This is my life. <laughs> this is this, these are our lives. Be, and by by the way, one one other thing that should be mentioned is again why videos in, in terms of videos not not coming out from from civilians from people who are, are being affected by this. Um, you know, engineers, telecom workers are doing are doing their best to bring communications back up at great personal risk, not because a bomb might fall from somewhere. And not because, you know, the health hazards and things like that, but because they will be targeted. That they, that there is genuine fear and genuine credible fear that if you're caught working on something, trying to fix something so that people can communicate with people, whether it's in the next town or overseas, that somebody with a gun will come to you, close to you, and harm you or a sniper yeah because that's yeah that's also a possibility that that a sniper will spot you and pick you off because you are trying to fix telecom lines or trying to pick fix uh, water lines or what whatever it may be trying to offer a service that alleviates some of the suffering of the people yeah so you know and i think that's one of the most difficult things here is that there is in this commenter, this person who was commenting, I think they were just bold enough to say what a lot of people are thinking, frankly. Um, I'm not going to speculate about where they're from. I have my suspicions, um, but there is a, there is this, I'm just going to use the word. It's this bizarre entitlement that mm. a lot of us feel. And I'm just going to say, you know, Global North, particularly Americans, um, genuinely feel like we are owed trauma porn. Let's call it that. And if you don't give it to us, then I won't give you something. What, what is something? Usually it's maybe a like. You know, heart heart your TikTok or whatever. You know, I mean? like I, you know, I, again, I feel like I'm making these really cynical jokes, but but that seems to genuinely be be what's happening. Is there? I feel like there is a genuine place, which is, hey, I'm a discerning, concerned viewer of the news, and I want to stay informed, and so I want to be able to verify and do my own research. Yes, that's great. There's also a way in which some people turn that into show me all the gore show me all the bad stuff i'm owed that and then maybe one of those videos might shake me out of my trance that i'm somehow enjoying this stuff and make me want to do something i don't know what that something is but maybe but you have to prove to me that you are worth it and it's it's Mm -hmm. this really insidious trap that it puts people into my attention is currency. Prove to me that dance monkey. <laughs> prove to me that you are worth my attention. 
um, I, I think as an American, I can confidently say we have that. Mm-hmm. That that whole like the U.S. We are the most influential country in the world, and therefore our attention is the most important in the world. Mm-hmm. So prove to me that you are worth my attention, because me as an American citizen, I have a lot of power. And if I don't see what I like, then, you know. But that's not the, I think the the West has this idea. Mm-hmm. And the Arab world has a similar but different idea. Mm. And that is, um, that that comes from the stereotype that Sudanese, we, as Sudanese people, we straddle we straddle Africa and the Middle East, right? Mm-hmm. We are fully on the African continent. But culturally, uh, we have been pushed towards the Arab world, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I say pushed because <clears throat> various governments have made it a point to prioritize the Arab identity over the African one. Mm-hmm. And that's why today we you know, for a lot of our African siblings, we're not. There's a, there's a contentious relationship there. There's a tense relationship there. Because our government has always valued the Arab identity, we changed the flag to be more like uh, other Arab countries. If you see our flag, you'll see a similarity with flags across the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And so we've always tried to, um, you know, uh, to sort of... Uh, play up our proximity, <coughs> our proximity to Arabness. Unfortunately, um, the Arab world sees Sudanese people as, actually, before I get into that, Sudanese people, um, you know, Sudan had a favorable position for uh, many Arabs, particularly Arabs of the Gulf. They've, you know, historically, they've come to study in Sudan. University of Khartoum was an internationally accredited university. So they would come study there before their countries hit oil and, and, you know, skyrocketed in their development. Sudanese people have a lot to do with that development. We went to these Gulf countries. uh, We were teachers. (coughs) We were educators. We were doctors. But we were also um, employees in their governmental institutions. We helped set up a lot of those institutions. And so um, somewhere along the line, I think that became threatening to people. Mm. And then we started to see, you know, you'll see like the difference in generations. My father's generation, for example, Arabs of my father's generation will recognize Sudanese people's accomplishments in the Arab world. They know, they know, they'll know and always talk about, oh, my teacher was Sudanese, my colleague was Sudanese, Mm -hmm. whatever, my professor, I I studied in Sudan, Um, you know, they'll recognize that that connection. But uh, younger generations will talk about Sudanese people's laziness instead. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sudanese people are lazy. Sudanese people love beds. They have beds in their homes, which is true. Our homes, because of the sense of community, 
you know, our living room is not a, a, a few couches, maybe now, it's a, a couches and some chairs and stuff. Mm. But the traditional Sudanese living room is beds because you are always accommodating people. People are always coming in and staying with you. Mm. You need the bed space. That's part of this sense of community. Right, right. That translates over there into Sudanese people are lazy. So they even have beds in their living room. Ha! <laughs> Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. I see. I um, see. Yeah. Uh, anti-blackness is is prevalent in the Arab world, and so there are all of these stereotypes. And so in this war, we are seeing um, the Arab world. Even though Arab media really has been the first to cover what's happened in Sudan, um, but Arab people who are just now getting hip to what's happening are uh, tr- um, interpret their lateness into Sudanese people are not doing enough to show what's happening to them. That's why I didn't hear about it. Right. Because you're not making an effort. Sudanese people are so lazy, they can't even talk about their own war. Right? There's that, pr- maybe it, sometimes it's that bold mm. and sometimes not so much. Sometimes it comes from a good place. Right. right, but like I said, like a good place that is heavily tainted by implicit bias. You're assuming you don't know because nobody's been talking about it. You don't, but it really it's because you are not interested in knowing, because we're not a priority to you. We're not the part of the world that you look to. Yeah. Right, and so you know, I, I, I say all that to say that like. We are, you know, we are at the same time suffer from um, racism and anti-blackness from the West and racism and anti-blackness from the the East, I'll say the East. Right. And um, those manifest in, in different ways, but the effect is still the same, which is to dismiss and overlook and blame us for our own suffering. And then you come in and and you're making these videos, you're making these posts, right? Giving people, truly giving people the benefit of the doubt, saying, hey, if you didn't watch my video on day 198, maybe you watch it on day 199. If you didn't watch that, maybe you read my, you know, 150 character tweet from day 250 and then you do it again right and and i know for mm-hmm. some some of your audience of course is sudanese but but a lot of it is is not um and i mean i've seen you also say i i there was a somebody asked you made a video and then under one of the comments somebody said hey wait where's the rest of the information and you commented back something like well hey i'm trying to is verbatim i'm trying to ensure people have the attention span to get all the information because many people have expressed that they don't watch long videos that's have people legitimately told you hey your videos are too long yeah i'm sorry your videos are too long but, but maybe not your videos are too long like that but certainly hey i have a tip for you Maybe next time make the video shorter or make it in two parts so that more people will watch. 
Or, hey, how about you summarize what's happening in the video in the first 15 seconds so that people know what they're getting into before they watch the whole, so they don't have to watch the whole video or so that you can grab their attention so they'll stay for the whole video. Which is, these are all legitimate tips. These are good tips. These are true. Yeah. Great tips. These are right. These are correct. For content. Yeah. For content. Yes. But if you're here and you're not willing to sit for three minutes or five minutes, I'm not even asking you to sit. I'm not asking you to look at my face. You can listen as you do your life stuff. You can wash your dishes or cook your dinner and play the video in the background. You don't have to look at me. But if you're not willing to sit for five minutes to absorb this information, that is just the tip of the iceberg. Five minutes is not even enough for me to really talk about that topic um, fully to give you a full picture, then what do I need with your attention? It's, you know, it's, again, it's, it's the issue of, of seeing it as content and not a live reality. Can I ask you a personal question that I've gotten asked by about five different people in, in my Instagram comments? Mm-hmm. Because you saw that I posted the, hey, if anybody's got questions, please ask. Mm -hmm. I'm going to summarize. Actually, I'm looking at this, honestly, about six or seven different, uh, six or seven different uh, questions into one. Um, And this is from uh, Tulos, man. I I think they encapsulated the best. Um, You mentioned that you aren't a journalist. Calling back to actually the question Mm -hmm. I said at the beginning. Um, they say, you mentioned that you aren't a journalist. What drives you to be so active? Much love. The survival of my family. Hmm. Um, this is something that Sydney's people have been saying. Uh, I've had to be an activist. This has forced me to become an activist. This has forced me to become a journalist because the journalists are not doing it. I, I say in the beginning of this, stream I said that this is not a job for me and it's not the difference between journalists and me is journalists cover other things mm-hmm. <clears throat> today a journalist will write about Sudan tomorrow they'll write about the Congo the next day they'll write about Syria the next day they'll write about you know South America um I'm I'm talking about Sudan because it serves me personally. Mm-hmm. I can't be a journalist because a journalist I would be the worst kind. <laughs> a journalist that only knows about one place—that's the worst kind. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of those. You ever you ever met anybody in yeah. DC? You you, t- you take them, them you take them like three miles away from the hill and they're lost. Like physically, they don't know where listen. they are anymore. No and shade, but shade. No shade, but shade. Like, if you are a journalist that only knows about your little corner or whatever, you're not really a journalist to me. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. And you know, that's I'm 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 upset. I ups, I get upset at the when people not upset. That's that's an overstatement. Hmm. But I get annoyed when people call me a journalist because I know actual journalists. I am friends with actual journalists, and that's a disservice to them 
to their craft, their profession, and the amount of time that they've put into becoming who they are in their profession when somebody just watches my videos or reads a recap of what happened today and they call me a journalist, that's wild to me. That's wild to me. And again, that's the effect of social media. Anybody who grabs a mic and talks in a, in a calm voice and does the hands, gestures, and has the little things on the edge of the screen, that's a journalist to you? I feel like, you know, <laughs> you have more respect for journalists than I do, yo. <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> They're not yo, making it I, easy. No. But yeah, no. I know real. enough good journalists to keep, you know, to keep, um, to keep that respect. And I also keep that respect because I come from a country where there is no freedom of speech. Mm. And journalists have risked their lives to talk about the issues that are happening in Sudan. Um, they've had their uh, newspapers shut down. They've been arrested. They've been exiled. I know what journalism, I know the power of journalism, and I know what journalists go through in order to, true journalists go through in order to report the truth. So I would never claim to be a journalist. Just like I would never claim to be an activist. An activist to me is somebody, again, who stands up for, uh, who puts their, themselves on the line for the issues, for issues and causes that deserve it. Mm -hmm. Not just one. I am just talking about Sudan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that doesn't mean that I don't support other causes, <coughs> but I am doing this for myself and my people, first and foremost, <coughs> before I do it for anybody else. <coughs> yeah. Okay, I'm a. <laughs> I feel like I'm hitting your limit here. Thank you so much, for real, for real. Everybody in chat, please, please continue. Thanks, Sarah, for for you know, just you know, push pushing through this. Truly, truly appreciate it. Um, another series of questions that I've gotten that all kind of summarize here um which is that i'll put it this way i guess there's a sort of and i want to use this word neutrally but a sort of public posturing that we see a lot right um you know when war in ukraine broke out it became the right thing to do. I don't want to say fashionable, but you dig what I'm saying. It became the thing to do to post that flag. You know what I mean? You you couldn't even find Ukraine on a map last week. But get that blue and yellow up there, right? Um, October 7th happens, and it became whichever way you swing, say something. And if you didn't say something, it was a problem. And this brings me back to, I think, there's a recurring, uh, a recurring theme or recurring thing that I touch on is the black squares in the summer of 2020 post that black square if you or your company or your organization or you know the burger joint down the road has not posted their black square what are y'all doing right um i do see some value in that i also again feel like at, at some times it's just like you said sometimes it feels like 
well, I'm giving you attention and my attention is valuable. And what, what more do you want? Right. Um, that's a big wind up to ask you. For a lot of people, this conversation may be the first they've heard about it. Um, what would you like to see people do? Engage genuinely, not because you feel like you have to, not because it's a trendy thing to do, not because you're being uh, guilted by the videos that you come across of people being like, if you don't talk about this thing, then what are you doing with your life? Oh, I would never talk to anybody who's not talking about this thing. Engage because you truly want to understand. Um, because only through that will you be compelled to actually do something. Everything else is just lip service. Everything else is, mm. like you said, that black square. That black square was a nice gesture, but it was not enough. And a lot of people stopped there. And a lot of people, yes. you know, did the black square because they felt guilty because they saw their friends doing it or they saw, you know, or people talked about it and they just didn't want to be, they didn't want to go through the hassle of being canceled, whatever that means, yeah. you know, they don't want to go through the hassle of being asked why they didn't do it. Mm -hmm. That kind of action leads very little result, if any. Check the box. And right. And so, you know, for Sudan, like, there's so much that people need to understand. I said this in, in, I think in one of my videos, that, like, I re recognize that a huge part of the problem of why Sudan is not getting the attention or not it's not on anybody's radar is that people don't know about us, don't know enough about us as a people in order to care. We have a large Sudanese community here in America, you know, particularly in the DMV. We're, every, we're everywhere, but particularly in the DMV. Mm. But we're invisible. You know, D when Del you think Delaware, of, Maryland, uh, Vermont. Not everybody in here is from the state, so not everybody knows who <laughs> it is. So up, up in the little eastern <laughs> section, not quite in New York, yeah. but up in there, yeah. No, yeah, even, even in the tri-state area of New York, <clears throat> We're there too, but when you think of African communities in America, you think of the Nigerian community, Ghanaian, you know, but you don't really think about Sudanese. We're not visible. Mm. And that invisibility makes it difficult for people to, to care. It makes sense. You don't have anything to connect it to. Who, who do I know who's Sudanese or where have I seen Sudan? You know, Nigerian and Ghanaian, we have the Joel of Wars. We know, like, <laughs> what's going on. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do not get us straight in here. Come on now. <laughs> right. We got Afrobeats or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. But Sudan doesn't have that same sort of popular uh, visibility in popular culture. And so people don't really know anything about Sudan. So how can they care about a people that they've never seen? And... To me, um, the first step for anybody who really sees themselves as someone who cares about humanity or, you know, 
who wants to be involved in these sorts of causes is to learn about the people. And um, and also that need, that effort goes beyond what's readily available to you without effort. Um, you know, my videos are not enough for people to understand Sudan and Sudanese people. You gotta, at some point, you gotta go do that on your own. And, 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 and I'm happy to help. I'm happy to point you in the right direction. I share videos on the stories all the time for things that, that fall outside of just the war. You know, a lot of art, a lot of music, a lot of whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's an invitation. That's a subtle invitation for you to go dive in some more on that. The more you know about a people, the more connected you feel to them, even if you don't know them personally, right? And um, yeah, the more you know about them, the more connected you feel, the more compelled you feel to do something. So that's, I mean, that's what I would, that's what I would advise. Um, Trends die out and Soon the world will move on to something else and TikTok will move on to something else. And that'll be that. Mm-hmm. But can you say that you are for humanity if you're swayed by the algorithm? Can you say that you cared about the cause if you don't remember it, don't look for it the moment the algorithm surprises it or moves on to something else? Um, somebody said, I really appreciate the comments that say, your videos are not coming up for me anymore. I have to come look for your page. Mm. That to me is really somebody who's interested, somebody who really cares because first of all, you remembered my account, right? You remember my handle. That's crazy to me. Cause we, somebody, I saw a TikTok the other day that was like, you know, I, we don't even remember people's accounts. Like we, we just be scrolling, scrolling, scrolling one right. video to the next. You don't, you might have liked the video, but you don't know what that person's account name is. Mm-hmm. You don't know how to come back to their content. Yeah. Um, so if people remember, if, if people go out of their way to check my account, I, I am so grateful for that. I'm so appreciative for that. And that also tells me that that person really is invested versus just like oh yeah i can't find any content on sudan like click on the hashtag all you gotta do is click on the hashtag yeah i think you know no and i i mean again i think you you were doing so much in this because look i'm gonna say this man um not everybody has the patience that you do i feel like i have a decent amount of patience also to explain things to people um because i know that not everybody does. And sometimes there will come mm-hmm. a day or there will come, you know, a month stretch <laughs> where I just run out of patience and I don't have time yeah. to be answering the same question to everybody over and over and over again about whatever it is they want to know about me or people who look like me or or people who mm-hmm. don't look like me that I happen to have some kind of a connection to, right? And I'll just not have the energy to engage. Um, and it's... I mean, and, and you've, I mean, as you said, you know, one of the things that, that drives you obviously is it it has to do with your family, right? But even then, that doesn't mean that, you know, one can just 
continue asking it's just because it can go two different ways right one is just fam google but we also know that not everybody genuinely has the patience to google and it means and that is why things like these ridiculous social media strategies that we find ourselves you know being told to use like hey summarize what you're going to say in the first 15 seconds the first three seconds mm-hmm. or you know show a picture first or all the make your video shorter or whatever but i think also do a dance while you talk about <laughs> what'd you say do it do a trending do a trending tiktok dance while oh you're talking gosh. about it yes so yeah that, yeah so do, it'll do, come do, up on the algorithm yeah exactly it, which <laughs> look, some people do that and i have no you know like i remember the, the dude the the argument about i don't know if you remember those memes about uh it would be something to be somebody cooking and then all of a sudden it would say also by the way arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor, mm-hmm. which is just, mm-hmm. I talked to one of my former coworkers uh, about that. Like, what do, what do you think the people in that community feel like that? Like, what does the family think about it? And I think it's, it's mixed. It's mixed because mm-hmm. on one hand, it feels mad disrespectful. And on the other hand, I got your attention. And maybe yeah. you were one, one in a hundred people who wasn't really thinking about it, but it jarred you enough to maybe go do something. You know what I mean? But yeah. I also think, you know, one of the things that I was any of my former coworkers, you heard me hear say that you, people would hear me say this all the time. I would say this about almost everywhere. I would say, yo, when's the last time you saw a news story or any mini doc or whatever with somebody speaking in Spanish where they're not talking about getting deported or shot at? Mm. You dig what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like when's the and like when's the last time you saw genuinely anything in Africa where it's not somebody getting kicked out, hungry or shot at? And like, yep. Mexicans do some cool shit. I promise you, <laughs> constantly, and that's just what I'm familiar with, right? There's stuff they do I don't even know about. I haven't discovered that yet. But I will get incredibly frustrated because listen, I know border issues are important. I understand all that. We got to talk about that. But like if every single time you see a brown face, they're crying or they're not alive. Like, come on, man. And like, you you really mean to tell me, you really mean to tell me that there's not one Sudanese person making some cool music, cooking some cool food doing doing something artistic throwing some paint at a wall doing some kind of art form that i don't even have a word for yet truly you mean that i refuse to believe that and so yeah if my first interaction is i don't know where this is on a map and it looks like they're fighting again okay let me keep scrolling I, I genuinely feel like this is uh, this is a larger societal stuff it's it's hard for me to blame any one person you dig but I feel like, yo, if you're not even being exposed to stuff that helps people register, you register as somebody that you'd want to talk to, that maybe you do talk to, you just don't know anything about them. Maybe you see them at the shop all the time. You just don't know. Then right. how is it a surprise that we wave it off and say, oh, man, they're they doing that thing again. Damn. Yep. Yeah, um, and I think uh, that's also something that we struggle with, or I also speak for myself. I struggle with mm. with that because I understand that 
We need to build our human image in the world. We need to, you know, we need to build that. That's not a thing that is given to us by virtue of being human. We have to show that we are. Um, and I understand the value of showing that we are in order to garner attention for what we're going through. But there's also you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't on have the to flip do that. Side, what you're saying, have, this is a wild paragraph yeah. you just said. <laughs> yeah, but on the flip side, you know, to to prove your point that we shouldn't have to, is the Sudanese reaction to see <clears throat> seeing content that isn't war related, because it's interpreted as you've moved on. We're dying, and you're talking about you're talking about a, a song. You're talking about a dance, man. You're talking about somebody painting. What are we doing right now? Right, in both ways, coming and going. And it, yeah, and that's understandable because yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I don't want to talk about you know that music festival that that Sudanese person uh, uh, performed at. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. That's stupid to me right now. <laughs> personally, personally, it makes me mad. Right, mm-hmm. but. I have to show that, show that so people know that we have a life outside of conflict. Because folks look at Africa, think about the Congo. All the images we're seeing from the DRC are just harrowing. Mm-hmm. But those people are not just that, you know? They're not just that oh. crisis. You know what, you know what Congolese people Any, like? They like wrestling. That's the one thing. Right. That's the one thing I did in Congo is I went to Kinshasa and wrestling. It's like y'all like wrestling, like Hulk Hogan wrestling. Yes, we do. That's incredible. Many people love them from wrestling. That I don't and know the music, what it is. dude, and the music that they play before I, I had so many people pull me aside and say, "Bro, come back and do something on the music," because everybody around us, like, you hear about the Afro beats? No, 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 no. Us, we do it the best. It, it was right. the most incredible thing. I promise you, they bring out the band before the wrestling match. And they, like, That's with the trumpets and the tubas. And it's like, I I couldn't imagine this. I never would have known this. How would I know? How would I know this? Genuinely, how would how I How would know? you? Yeah, how would you? In the same way that, you know, this is <clears throat> social media and, like, particularly TikTok is a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. It's for all the complaining that I've been doing about it <laughs> over the last two hours. Yeah. That app opens you up to so many things you would never see. Yeah. So many fascinating, just personal stories that you would never yeah. come across. Um, and I don't know how it does it. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know if. The same way that these really fascinating, very unique, very things that are very different to me that I've never seen before come across other people's timelines, come across other people's for you pages. But if 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 we leaned into that, there there would be such a big difference in people's mindsets if they if they opened themselves up to that, if they leaned into it, they didn't just like scroll past. And the algorithm picked up that you're not interested in this. But that's such an incredible tool for um, for just changing people's outlook, 
exposing them to different things. Like right now, what I'm what I'm doing on TikTok is just sharing videos from Sudanese creators who are not making this stuff about the war. Just like there's a there's oh I wish I remembered her account name. See, I'm telling you, we don't remember the account okay. name. Send, send, send it to me. This was gonna be my final question to be. Is well, here's my final one. Like, what what should I think you've got you've got an excellent just set of links and things on your Instagram page where I mean I there's a bunch of podcasts that are very I think beginner friendly right yeah. you can listen to it and you'll get a really good understanding of what it is if you want to understand the the inner you know international chess game that's there for you too um you know the speculation that's there for you too um but and so that that's great. I was wondering if you if you had anything, and you can send me the link, and I'll I'll post it for people too. If you if you don't remember it off off bat, the name of it. Um, but if there's anything you think, yo, you should you should watch this also, just on some culture yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, like I said on TikTok, I've been making a really um, um, concerted, deliberate effort to share uh, Sudanese creators who are just making things that don't have anything to do with the war um there's a there's one who i i think she started making these videos after she was displaced from Khartoum. i I don't want to speak out of turn but her last video that that i shared is of uh two men making what do you call it in english it's like um it's like a gazebo Okay. Like a Sudanese traditional gazebo, but it's made using um, palm fronds. And the construction, I mean, this is something that Akube is something I know deeply, like this, again, it's part of like the culture, right? Mm. Um, and it's something that exists in various forms in every home, particularly village homes. Um, but I had never seen it being made. And I'm sure so many Sudanese who live in major cities have never seen it being made. And this young woman made this video, and all of her videos are so aesthetically beautiful, just so mm. pleasing to the eye. Um, they have like an emotional aspect to them that I think transcends being Sudanese. I don't think it has anything to do with being Sudanese. She just she was very skilled at presenting things in a way that make that draw you in, and she just has this very short clip of them putting together this this rakuba, this gazebo. And it was so fascinating and so beautiful. And, and and so, yeah, so like I've been sharing this kind of content. I repost all of that. If you go to my repost on TikTok, you will find, mm. you know, people dancing, um, if traditional dances or just otherwise. Uh, like I said, this girl's videos where she shows like, she's kind of like reflecting village life. Um, it's it's so nice, and I think it gives people a different perspective of Sudanese that they need, that they absolutely need. That makes a lot of sense, yeah, because I think, you know, I mean, even to bring it back to the beginning, um, you know, when I said, you know, five million people in danger of being, you know, extreme hunger, right? Again, that's five million, that person, five million of those accounts are possible. Five million people these are yeah. all, again at the end of the day we are talking about people um you said i think really brilliantly i think it's a, it's a really maybe important way to understand this 
is that essentially the government is fighting its people. Right. And, you know, totally. you, you've said, okay, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Which one? Which one am I supposed to root for? Which general is supposed to root for? No, it's not one of the generals because peace talks are not happening. Ceasefires are not happening. Nobody from the outside is forcing the hand to make this happen. Who is suffering? It is the people. And it's always like that. This mm-hmm. is always the case. But also, people who live through these things are not numbers and they are not casualties and they are not family of casualties. They are people who sing, dance, do TikTok trends, make a gazebo. Yeah. I, I need to go watch this video now. You, you've talked it up so much. It's I got to so see it. It's so great. But... You know, that, that that is what this is. And so I think both of those at the same time are necessary. Um, mm-hmm. I've kept you so long. Thank you so much. Um, no, I just wanted to thank you for this. Because this is the first time that I've had a conversation about Sudan that did not stop at the figures, that did not just involve the bare bones facts. Who's bad? Who's not? What are the, give us the stats. Who, you know, what are people doing? Actually, no, nobody has asked that question. Nobody has asked, what are people doing to survive? Mm -hmm. I have offered that information. Nobody's asking why, how soon these people are surviving or whether they want to. It's just... What are the generals doing and what's happening to them? What's happening to the people? It's never what are the people doing? And they're doing so much. Um, so I just thank you for giving me the space to be able to talk about that, to be able to center the people who are the primary victims of, of what's happening, who are suffering um, the most, who are bearing the brunt. Mm of what's happening, fully bearing the brunt of what's happening. Just thank you. Thank you for giving me the space. Thank you for treating me like a person. I know that's weird to say, but this is the first time that I felt like a person talking about Sudan as opposed to an outlet. And I really appreciate that. I'm going to give a very qualified thank you for saying that to me i I appreciate that um may you have many more opportunities to talk as a person that is (laughs) i there are so many things you said today that were incredibly kind and i really don't like hearing (laughs) you dig what i'm saying um i don't like that at all Mm -hmm. i don't ever want to be said and i don't ever want anybody to say that to me ever again um but yeah um, no, for real. And I mean, in terms of centering, I mean, you're, you're doing that. You, you've been doing that. Like, that's part of the reason. I don't know if people saw the, the third slide that I posted on the IG where you just see the wall of you making videos. It's like this is you. You've been doing this and and people have been able to. Some I mean, some of these some of the updates you make, you know, no offense, some of these updates are truly mundane. Not yeah. much to report today. Not much happening. Yeah. Um, some of them are heartbreaking. Some of them are good news, right? That somebody was found safe, right? And and that's that's mm-hmm. what this is. But you know, I'm I'm happy that you know you you brought some of that 
over here to me too. Uh, I feel like I, I learned a lot and, you know, I didn't get any new facts or figures. Um, I learned about people and, and that's infinitely more, not just educational, but frankly, interesting to me. Um, mm -hmm. But thank you, um, Sarah, for coming through despite the flu, please get better. And um, the door is always open. Please, anytime the door is thank always you. open, come thank back, so come much. through. I really appreciate it. But take care. Thank you. you too. Thank you so much. All right. Easy. Once again, uh, big respect, big appreciation, and big thanks to this episode's guest, Sarah Lahassan. And do go follow her, uh, BS on Blast. That's BS on Blast on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, basically on everything that I've found. Um, because like I said, we didn't get into figures and politicians' names and, and historical dates and buzzwords and things like that. Um, now that stuff is available. She has so many resources. You can go check out things to read, things to listen to, videos to watch. Um, but hopefully it, it was worth your time to listen to something a little different. And kind of on that same topic, you know, about the title that I refused to explain in the beginning. But now that you've listened to it, uh, I think you understand. Um, there should be room for conversations like this. You understand? Like, I'm not meaning to say at all that we shouldn't know the names of the generals, the names of the politicians, the names of the organizations that are either doing well or doing badly. And I definitely don't mean to say that it's wrong to want to see evidence. But we should also be able to have conversations about A, just how people are living their lives and how people are surviving through things. But B, I really feel like we need to have a conversation and we need to continue having conversations about the fact that we feel like we're fighting with the algorithm for attention and those are difficult conversations to have and i don't have solutions for it we certainly didn't come up with one in this conversation but i don't know man i feel like as i continue to do this stream as i continue to do this podcast i'm finding reasons for it to keep existing and, and maybe this is one of them uh is to be able to have these conversations if for nobody else's sake my sake uh, which sounds selfish but i'm just being real with y'all but anyway, this has been me, your navigator, Dex Digi. You can find me at D-E-X-D-I-G-I. -I. I'm there on Instagram, on threads, on TikTok, and wherever you're listening to this, on Apple Music or wherever, if you can give it a rating and give it a review, that helps other people find the show. But anyway, until next time, stay in tune.